Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the price of gold fell about $12 an ounce today. Silver prices down another 28 cents. Both metals have been falling since making new uh, yearly highs recently. Gold, though, is not very much below the highs. I mean, really, the highest it was really trading was around 1350, 1360. So 1325 is not much of a pullback. Silver, on the other hand, was trading above 20. And so it's now back about 18 and a half. But the real carnage has been in the mining stocks, particularly today. Today was one of the biggest down days I've seen all year in in gold stocks. The GDX index was down just over 7% on the day. XAU was down better than 8% on the day. These are single-day drops. And, of course, there were many stocks that I saw, particularly some of the silver stocks, junior mining stocks, down 10% or more or more on a very, very small move uh, in the price of gold and silver. In fact, we've wiped out the last two months of gains, really, in the mining stocks. We're back down where we were uh, two months ago. Now, what is the catalyst for this? Although, interestingly enough, I did see early this morning, I don't know, maybe about 8.30-ish New York time, 9 o'clock. I can't remember exactly when, but it was before the, the U.S. stock market opened. No news. Gold was up about one or two bucks. And then all of a sudden, a huge sell order hits and gold drops about seven or eight bucks, you know, in a nanosecond on no news, no economic news, no statement. Just somebody decided to dump a lot of gold on the market all at one time and didn't really care what the execution price was. Now, considering how large the sell order was, it didn't really knock the market down very much. But the gold stock market That was a different story. And it kind of made me think that maybe the rationale for getting gold to drop was the impact it might have on the gold stocks themselves. My guess is a lot of people who are running with stops, you know, that's where you you have an order to sell below the market to try to protect your profits. My guess is they hit a lot of stops stops today, stop uh, sell orders in a lot of these mining stocks. And maybe some of the bigger players were able to buy more gold stocks based on the shakeout that was created by a relatively modest drop 
in the price in the price of gold. Meanwhile, the dollar didn't rise very much today. You didn't see a strong uh, move up in the dollar. I mean, the dollar index ticked up a little, but still 94.75. Uh, the downtrend seems to be firmly in place. So nothing really going on that would explain that big decline. What everybody seems to be focusing on is the Fed. And the reason that there's so much trepidation now in the market is people are worried about what Janet Yellen might say on Friday. You know, the Fed's uh, Jackson Hole conference gets underway tomorrow, and Janet Yellen speaks on Friday. And I guess the thoughts are maybe she's going to say something hawkish. Maybe she's going to talk about how the U.S. economy is strengthening and that the Fed is getting closer to meeting its objectives and that a rake hike is possible uh, in the near future. Well, so what? Who cares if she says that? I mean, that's what she always says. Now, she's not going to come out and say we're raising rates for sure. We're moving rates up in September. She's never said anything like that. The only thing she could say is that a rate hike is still possible, that she hasn't ruled it out. Well, that is no different than anything that she has said in the past. So why people are nervous that she's going to come out and make some kind of hawkish statement that would be unprecedented makes no sense. But again, even if Janet Yellen were to say that we're raising rates in September and she actually followed through with a rate hike, so what? What difference is that going to make in the scheme of things? It's not going to hurt gold. It's not going to help the dollar because the dollar already rose dramatically in 2014, 2015, based on the anticipation of all these rate hikes that haven't even happened yet. The same thing with gold. Gold went down from a high of almost 1,900 down to a low of 1,050 because it was discounting all these rate hikes that are never going to materialize. Even if we get one or two more, that is nothing compared to what the markets thought was going to happen. And so even if we get some more Little, little itsy bitsy rate hikes, even if we get up to three quarters of 1%, or even if the Fed got all the way up to 1%, that's still not enough to hurt gold, and it's still not enough to help the dollar. So when are people going to figure out that it doesn't even matter what the Fed does? Because either way, the U.S. dollar is going down and gold's going to go up because regardless of the fact that we may get another hike or two more hikes, this is the end of the tightening cycle. So either it already ended with a December hike, or maybe the Fed has got one or two more bullets left in the chamber, but then it's empty. And then the next thing they're going to do is load up for the next easing cycle. Because I still believe that we are in recession or just on the cusp of one, we're going to get the revision to the second quarter GDP on Friday also, the same day that Janet Yellen speaks at, at Jackson Hole. And there's still a good chance that that low number is going to be revised even lower. So the last three quarters are averaging below 1%. And even if the lofty expectations of the Atlanta Fed are realized, you know, they're looking for Q3 at 36 but how long is that going to hold up? Because you remember, they were looking for a, a north of three number for Q2. 
and we ended up getting barely one, and maybe we'll be revised below one. So they always start off with high expectations, and then they have to keep lowering the forecast as more and more weak economic data came in, like the weak economic data that came out today, like the weak economic data that came out on Monday and Tuesday. Here, today we got the existing home sales number, which was a huge disappointment. In fact, year over year, sales were down by 1.6%. This is the first year-over-year decline in almost two years in that number. Uh, Month-over-month, existing home sales were down 3.2%. Now, we did get a better number yesterday on new home sales, but new home sales are a tiny part of the market. You know, the the big market is the existing home sales. And there, it was a big miss. In fact, they were looking for 5.52 million, and they got 5.39 million, so way below estimates. And you know, when you hear the the media talk about this, right? They're 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 saying, well, you know, there's all kinds of demand out there. They're saying there's lots of demand, but the problem is that there's not enough homes on the market, or that the homes are priced too high. And I think it's more the latter. It's not about there's not enough houses to buy. It's just that the houses that are available for sale are too expensive. People can't afford them. And, and so to say there's all this demand, but the problem is that prices are too high, that means there is no demand. There's just desire, right? You, there's a difference between desire and actual demand, right? Demand is my ability to go out and buy things, right? A lot of people desire a Ferrari, but they don't really demand a Ferrari because it's way too expensive. I mean, you can't say, yeah, there's plenty of demand for Ferraris out there, but the reason they're not selling is they're too expensive. Well, of course, everybody wants one if it's cheap enough, but they don't want to pay a few hundred thousand dollars to get one. But yeah, if you could price a Ferrari for the same price as a Toyota, well, sure, you know, a lot of people would buy them. Same thing is going on with houses. Yes, there's a lot of houses out there. Lots of people want to buy houses, especially with mortgage rates so low. People know, God, I can get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage for under 4%. Yeah, I really want to buy a house. Unfortunately, I can't afford one because even with a 4% mortgage, I still can't buy the house. That's not actual demand. When you're talking about the fact that, well, there's all this demand, it's just that the prices are too high, then there is no demand. There's just desire. Now, there would be demand if prices went down, but the problem is, The government doesn't want to let prices go down. The Fed doesn't want to let prices go down. Because what would happen if real estate prices actually fell to the point where all the people that supposedly want to buy a house could actually afford to buy one, right? Because you'd have to have a big drop in home prices to make homes affordable because people don't have a lot of income and they certainly don't have any money for a down payment. So you really got to get a big drop in home prices. But the problem is if that happens... All the people who currently have mortgages on their homes who may have a little bit of home equity are going to be underwater. If you get a 20, 30 percent drop in home prices, now it's, you know, financial crisis part two. All of a sudden, now you have all these underwater homeowners mailing in their keys instead of their mortgage payments. And now all the banks are in trouble all over again because they've got all these bad mortgages. So the only way to maintain this phony home equity is to keep home prices propped up, which is one of the Federal Reserve's main goals, which is why they're not going to dare raise interest rates. Because if people can't afford homes now with rates this low, why would the Fed want to risk increasing the cost of buying homes even more? So they've got to keep the rates low to keep real estate prices up 
But if real estate prices are up, people can't afford to buy because they don't have the income and they don't have the savings for the down payment, even if it's only three and a half percent. So there is no demand that's out there. They're trying to say that, oh, everything is great. We have all this demand. It's just a problem that the prices are too high or there's not enough on the market. That means that there isn't any demand at these price points. Prices need to come down considerably, and eventually they're going to come down considerably, but the Fed wants to delay that as long as possible, which is why they don't want to raise rates, which is why it doesn't really matter what Janet Yellen says on Friday, because regardless of what she says, they're not going to raise rates, and even if they do, they're not going to normalize. They're not going to continue to raise rates. It's only a prelude to the next rate cut. Meanwhile, look at the other economic data that came out this week. We got a big drop in the Richmond Fed manufacturing. I mean, last month it was up 10, and everybody was like, oh, great, things are getting better. This month down 11, a big miss, a huge drop. This is the lowest level of that index. I mean, I'm looking at a chart that goes back to August of 2012, and we're pretty much on the lows. It looks like we've tied the low from uh, late 2012 and then again maybe August of uh, 2013. I think we're below the August 2013 level. So this is a really, really weak number uh, from Richmond Fed and looks like it's getting even weaker. Meanwhile, PMI manufacturing, which also came out yesterday, That was supposed to be 53.2, which would have been an improvement on the prior month, 52.9. Instead, we dropped down to 52.1, not only in the wrong direction, but now lower than the prior month, uh, not higher. So the, the economic data has not been coming out good. So why are people so convinced that the Fed is going to get so hawkish? It's only because you've had a few of these uh, officials come out and raise the possibility, however remote, that there could be another rate hike. And I think these guys were out there for damage control based on the fact that you had the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of of San Francisco write that paper that I talked about on my last podcast where the guy basically said, we need more QE, we need bigger deficits, we can't raise interest rates. So you had this real super dovish paper out there. And then I think people had to do damage control from that to try to maintain the perception that maybe a rate hike is coming, because that's what the Fed wants. The Fed wants the markets thinking that they're getting ready to raise rates so they can have the benefit of raising rates without having to suffer the consequences of actually raising them, because they get to talk about rate hikes but they don't have to inflict the actual damage of a rate hike. But meanwhile, just talking about raising rates does damage in and of itself, just not quite as much as as actually hiking them. But that is the game that the Fed is playing. And it's also about pretend the economy is in good shape so that Hillary can get reelected. So they don't want to keep going out there and talking about while the economy needs help, why should it need help? Everything is great. And if they acknowledge that it needs help, then they're admitting that it's not great. So the bottom line is, I think that this sell-off in the mining stocks is a great buying opportunity. Maybe they'll keep on selling it all the way into the Janet Yellen talk, and then it'll be a buy the rumor, sell the fact. I'm not sure how much more downside we have in the actual stocks, and I'm not sure if the stocks are actually a leading indicator, because the metal itself hasn't dropped very much relative to what we've seen in the stocks. So Is the big drop in the stock market, does that mean that a big drop in the metal is coming? I really don't think so. I think it's more of a buying opportunity in these gold stocks because, again, I don't even care what Janet Yellen says. 
I think that you end up buying into that speech. But there's also the possibility that she surprises the markets because the markets are bracing for a hawkish Janet Yellen. So what if we get a dove? Well, then that's a huge surprise. And I think they would sell the dollar hard and really rush into gold. But if we simply get the hawkish comments that everybody is afraid of or expecting, well, then, you know, buy the rumor, sell the fact. Meanwhile, I think if the markets really believed the Fed was going to be hiking rates, I think the stock market would be a lot weaker than it is. I mean, it was down today. The Dow was down, uh, what, um, 65 points, not that big a down day. A little bit more weakness in the NASDAQ, down 42. So percentage-wise, they're almost 1%. But, I mean, not that much. I mean, the bond market was, I think, slightly lower on the day. And, again, the dollar was only slightly higher. So the only market that seems to be fearing a rate hike is the mining sector, the gold and silver. And, of course, that's where you've had the biggest gains. And so you may have some people that are looking to protect those gains or you know, maybe they're not long-term investors. They kind of hopped on the train. They got some gains, and now they're quick to the exits. So I don't think that we're going to get a, a, uh, a real hawkish statement. And even if it does, I don't think it means that rates are going up. And so I think it's a buying opportunity in these mining stocks, and it is a buying opportunity for the metal itself. So, you know, that's my advice. And remember, if you haven't already set up your gold money account, remember I mentioned before that my metals company, Shift Gold, is merging with gold money. And gold money is a great way for you guys to take advantage of the dip in the the price of gold. You can go online and set up your account at goldmoney.com. You could just use your credit card. You could buy a small amount of gold, whatever you want to start with, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 500 bucks. Get your account going. Uh, you know, you, they give you a little a little gold for free to get going. So you really end up getting a getting a discount on your initial purchase for setting up your account. And then once you you know you play around with the 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 app or the program, and you, it's pretty easy to figure out how to use it and uh, how to start uh, saving and transacting in gold. So this would be a good time if you haven't already set up your account to do it because we do have a little bit of a pullback. Again, though, it's not much. The real pullback is in the mining stocks. And if you are so inclined, uh, you could talk to brokers at Euro Pacific Capital uh, to find out the stocks that we like or the funds that we like uh, to give you access to the gold and silver mining stock market. And of course, if you're clients of ours, you may already have exposure to this sector. If you don't think you have enough exposure, if you were upset that when the stocks were really going up, you wish you'd had more, well, now you've got a pullback. So now you've got an opportunity to buy more. So talk to your broker at Euro Pacific Capital. Hey, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about this uh, woman I saw, a teacher, was on CNBC. And then I noticed the article that prompted her uh, I guess her appearance, and I posted it up on my Facebook page. We got some mixed uh, mixed uh, comments. And this is a Texas teacher who made an announcement that was very well received by the students. But what's amazing to me is that it's also well received by a lot of the parents and I think a lot of people in the media. And the announcement was that she was not going to do any more homework. So her kids are not going to get any homework for the rest of the year because she thinks that there's no real uh, benefit or there's no statistical correlation or no proof that homework uh, actually uh, is, is beneficial to, to kids. And, of course, I think this is complete and utter nonsense. Now, 
This woman only happens to teach the second grade. And, and you could argue that maybe in the second grade, homework is not as important. And I don't think it is. I think you should have a little bit of homework in the second grade, but not a lot, just to prepare you for doing more homework uh, you know, in higher grades. But clearly, homework, I think, is a key part of the education experience. And I don't know if this is going to be a trend. Maybe it is, where it's not just second graders who don't get homework, but you know, sixth graders. You know, or maybe maybe it goes into junior high school or high school. I mean, how high up uh, the education flagpole are they going to raise this idea that homework is no good? I mean, I can see why teachers don't want to give out homework because they got to grade it. They got to correct it. So certainly it makes a teacher's job a lot easier if there's no homework to deal with. I mean, that's that's a big part of being a teacher is, you know, going over the homework. I mean, if you don't have to do that, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, it's not like they work long hours anyway and they get these huge vacations. Uh, so I think this is great for teachers, but I don't think it's good for kids to not have homework. And, you know, look, we've got some of the least prepared kids in in the world. I mean, you look at where our kids rank on these on these exams and they rank them nation, you know, based on other you know countries. And we're generally dead last or pretty close to it. I mean, if there's a ranking and there's 40 countries, you know, we're like 35 somewhere. I mean, we're near the bottom I mean, we're, we're not even close to the top 10. And this is the type of attitude to say, oh, yeah, we're not going to give kids homework. And she was this teacher was being interviewed. And this was one of the reasons that she said that she didn't want to give out any homework assignments because she thought it wasn't fair because she said that some kids parents don't actually, uh, you know, make the kids do their homework or are not in as good a position to help their kids with their homework. <clears throat> she talked about the fact that some kids parents don't didn't go to college uh, and so they're not as well educated or some of them aren't as motivated and don't get involved. And therefore, it's not fair to give out homework when some kids are not going to get the same type of help or encouragement from their parents as other kids might. So in other words, let's dumb it down to the lowest common denominator, right? So if, if one kid's parents don't give a damn about their kid or whether or not he does his homework, so we're not going to give homework to anybody and therefore rob other kids of the ability or the benefits of getting homework because their kid, their parents are more involved and more caring. And, you know, I, I even disagree with the idea that she said, well, some people's parents, they don't have college degrees or they don't speak English very well, and so they can't help their kids. I think that's very condescending uh, to a lot of immigrants who want the best for their kids. I remember when I was younger and growing up, and I remember I had, you know, there were kids in class when I went to school in New York City. Uh, where I knew their parents didn't speak English very well at home. Uh, they were immigrants, and th they they were some of the most driven. I mean, those parents really made sure their kids cracked the books. Even though they didn't speak English, or maybe they didn't go to college, they wanted their children to. And they, they, those were some of the, the brightest, most hardworking kids. They did lots of homework. So to say that, hey, just because you don't speak English, you're not going to care about your kid and you're not going to be motivated to make sure their kid uh, studies. In fact, probably the immigrants are probably going to do a better job. People that aren't speaking English might do a better job of getting their kids to study and be prepared for school than native-born American parents who only speak English. But I'm surprised at how many people are coming out and saying, oh, this is a good thing, right? Oh, homework is a waste of time. No, it's not. I mean, how much do you actually learn? I mean, you go to school and you 
you know, you, you learn concepts and you learn things, but then you got to go home and you got to implement what you learned in school. You've got to do more work. So you're not just, you know, just regurgitating or just, you know, it goes in and you forget it. You have to understand concepts. You've got to work out problems. You've got to do things at home. It can't just be that I'm in school for a certain number of hours a day and then I don't do anything else to show whether or not I actually learn. Because one of the things that homework does is it shows the teacher, did you actually learn what I taught you? Right? Because <laughs> then you see the homework. Okay, the kid knows it. He doesn't know it. I need to give him a little bit more help. Now, I guess you could say, well, well what are tests for? We'll just do all that while we're in school, right? Instead of having kids do it at home. But they're not in school. What you're in school, what? Six hours? the day. I mean, there's plenty of hours left for kids to do home homework. What about on the weekends? But a lot of homework is it's just preparation for, for life. Kids learning how to manage their time, learning how to work on their own. I mean, I remember you get homework, you get home and you say, okay, well, I got, here's the subject I have homework in. And, you know, you get home from school two, three o'clock in the afternoon you don't have an hour to do your homework. You can squeeze it in somewhere between then and the time you go to bed, right? You got to budget your time. You got to figure out, you know, when you're going to do your homework. I mean, this is part of the educational process. And supposedly, this prepares you for college when you have a lot of homework. I mean, college, it's almost all homework. You go to lecture, you go to a workshop, but I mean, you're doing all kinds of stuff at home. You're doing studying, you're writing papers. I mean, there's a lot of things that you do outside of uh, of the classroom setting. You're supposed to prepare for that uh, in high school. And of course, you know, if you've never done any homework and you get to high school and you've never had any homework, now all of a sudden you get it, right? Aren't the kids that have never done homework going to be at a disadvantage? Like all of this stuff is just dumbing down the educational system. It's just, you know, teaching to the lowest common denominator. And it's just more proof that we have to dismantle the public school system. Because you know what? If we didn't have these public schools and we had private schools and there were some private schools that say, hey, we don't have homework. And there are other private schools that say we give homework. Well, then the parents can decide which school do I want to send my kids? Do I want to send my kids to a school that gives homework or do I want to send my kids to a school that doesn't give homework? And, you know, if the if the private schools that don't give homework, if the if the kids aren't getting into good colleges, if they're not learning as much, then, you know, that that school is not going to survive because no parent is going to want to send their kids there. But the problem is in these public schools, you're trapped there. Right. And so if the teacher's not going to give homework and that's the school your kid happens to be in, well, then he's not going to get homework. And I know it's always going to be popular with the kids. Yeah, no homework. Sure. No tests, no grades. Right. That's going to be popular with the kids, too. How about no schoolwork? You know, why? Why not just eliminate homework? Eliminate all work. How about just have recess all day? I'm sure the second graders would love that. Right. Just all recess. In fact, why even have school at all? Just cancel the whole thing. Now, of course, then you're going to have, you know, the argument, yes, well, you're just getting indoctrinated anyway. So what's the point of sending our kids to school when they don't really learn anything? They get indoctrinated. And that's a whole different subject. But if at least we're going to pretend that we're educating our kids, we can also pretend that there's no need to give them homework. I mean, I'm sure that if there was no evidence that homework was good, somebody would have figured it out. A long time ago, because kids have been going to school for hundreds of years and homework has been a part of it. And I'm sure that if homework actually didn't do any good, if kids doing homework didn't learn any more than kids who didn't do homework, I'm sure somebody would have figured this out a long time ago. 
The fact that homework still exists is really the proof that it works. And the reason that American teachers want to give it up is because they're lazy, right? And because of this nonsense political correctness idea that, oh, it's not fair to the kid whose parents don't give a damn and who don't help him with the homework. So let's just, you know, this is discriminatory. That's what she was actually saying. She said that it's discriminatory to give out homework because some people's parents might not be involved enough to help out. And this is this is this nonsense, this liberal mentality that is at the heart of the problems in the public school system, apart from the fact that the government runs it and the teachers unions run it and no one gives a damn about the students. And so we end up getting this kind of nonsense. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams and How to Avoid Getting Ripped Off for Free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com. 